0: Pray with me. Lord, you have done great things for us. You have a great purpose for us. Guide us into what it is that you have called us to do. Give us this morning clarity. Would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this morning, it is my turn to try to impress upon you somehow the importance, the gravity of what's going on in Romans 8. It started with Justin. Did you get two cracks at it? just one. Stephen's done two portions, now it's me. But having neither the wit of Justin nor the wisdom of Stephen, what can I offer you but gimmicks? And so I have decided to throw a curveball, not a literal curveball, actually both Justin and Stephen are better at throwing baseballs than I am, so that would again be faulty. But This metaphorical curveball that I am throwing at you from my preacher's mound is this. We have an exercise. You are all going to repeat after me. Ready? Let's do this. Therefore, Therefore, there there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life life has set me free free from the law of sin and death. death. One more time. Therefore, Therefore, there there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, yes, through Christ Jesus the, law the, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free, set me free. From, the from the law of sin and death. Sam, I didn't say imitate all of my actions. You're just supposed to repeat. Uh, so I can remember repeating these words over and over in my head as I was sweating myself to sleep in a screen cabin on a hot Texas summer night. Many of you guys know that um, I spent a lot of years as a camp counselor, and one of the ways that I tried to impress upon my campers this gravity of the Word of God is that I would try to memorize it with them. You know, our program directors had uh, had set out this list of verses. Uh, you know, there's a whole, you know, big ordeal, camp theme. You, you guys have all, probably all experienced something like it. But anyway, the, there was a long list of verses that we would memorize. And, you know, it starts with memorizing Romans Road and just little one-offs here and there. But the kind of climax of it is memorizing the entirety of Romans 8 because it is that important of a, I, I want to, it's a crescendo in the New Testament. And so, uh, you know, but the, the thing is, unless you're a lot smarter than I am, and there are plenty of you in here, you don't memorize 40 verses at once. You take it bit by bit, one word or phrase at a time. And so I remember constantly, you know, these first two verses would just be going through my mind, you know, as I, you know, as and then I added the third and then the fourth. So by the time we get up to our verses here at 26 through 34 what is still at the forefront of my mind it, is this Thematic intro that bleeds through the rest of it. Everything that Paul is talking about in these verses has to be grounded in the fact that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but that through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And so, as we look at those verses, these verses today, 26 through 34, my real hope is to just try to weed out some of the tricky bits by grounding them in this broader theme. So, hopefully, we'll be able to make a little bit more sense of some of these tough parts. So, let's take a look at it, right? Let's, we'll, we'll small bites at a time, right? 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for all the saints according to God's will. No, it's not the exact same translation. I was working uh, with the NIV. It's actually the old IV. It's not even the new uh, international version anymore. Um, But, you know, that's what happens when you memorize something in in a particular time. Anyhow, so if any of you have uh, attention deficit disorders like I do, um, these verses can be hard to follow. Right? Why is Paul saying that we don't know how to pray? And then, out of nowhere, why is the Spirit groaning? Who is the searcher of hearts? What's going on with Him and the Spirit and the will of God? Well, all of these oddities make more sense if we filter them through this message of no condemnation, there was an old law, but a new law of life, right? If we remember that, then we start to see this picture more clearly. Every one of us is still largely enslaved to our own passions. What our hearts desire, our wills choose, and our mind justifies Make no mistake, even our sincerest prayers for others are not free from our own selfishness. And while that is a real problem, one that we're not really going to get into today, because Paul provides that there is a solution. We're talking about the good news, the good part of this. Paul is saying here that God can sort through all the sin of our hearts and hear our prayers as they ought to be. He's saying that Jesus sent us a helper to draw our hearts into the will of God as a part of our new life as Christians. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. How about verses 28 through 30? we find another puzzling account of God's work in us. Paul writes, And we know that in all things, God works to the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those... Oh, sorry, I'm skipping apart. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There's a lot of meat in here, right? These verses have been taken out of context and have caused all manner of trouble within Christendom and outside, right? You've heard the word predestination thrown around in a lot of different ways. But what about this, working all things to our good? Doesn't that mean that Christians should prosper? Why don't I have a jet ski in my garage? Why don't I have a garage? (laughs) Many people have used these verses to suggest that Christians should somehow be obviously blessed. And if you're not obviously blessed, then maybe you're not one of the elect. Maybe He predestined something else for you. That can't be what Paul is saying here. It's actually quite the opposite. What he's saying is that God is working all things to our good, namely, our glorification, but that in the process of this, actually being conformed to Jesus-likeness, who did not have a jet ski or a garage, we would suffer. But through our suffering, even in the midst of this process, not that all of the suffering is in fact good, but that through suffering, we might come to good. Paul is saying that the process of glorification means that Christians have a resilience through hardships because the spirit who's giving this law of life is actually giving a life that resists death, a life that resists condemnation at every turn, right? We still get flat tires and have bad hair days, those of you who are lucky enough to have enough hair for that. Sorry, Joe. Um, And it's not that Paul is saying all of these problems become not bad. I want to be clear about that. There are real things that are bad in your life, and even if God can redeem it, that doesn't mean that the sickness in your family or your chronic pain is something that God calls good. Those things are products of the fall, and God longs to redeem them, but even in the midst of those, he has given you a helper, a spirit of life that can set you free from that. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. In the remaining verses, Paul takes us directly into the divine courtroom. We can see our freedom in this law of the spirit of life as it is being bought for us. By our Savior. He begins his conclusion. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father and is interceding for us. Right? Can you see it? Paul wants us to imagine that we have been summoned to court. We have been accused. We are on trial. And he mentions, he he alludes to him, but he doesn't mention him by name. Make no mistake, the accuser is there. And he is standing with all of the law of sin and death weighing against us. But then, Our lawyer walks in the room, right? And his body is still marred by the effects of death and abuse as payment for sin. The judge cannot but look on him and say the debt is paid. Christ Jesus already makes the case For us, the Messiah has already canceled out the debt. That's why in Romans 8, the devil doesn't even get a word in. He doesn't even get to condemn. There's no chance. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. All of this has been erased. Actually, the toughest part of this last passage is not understanding what's going on. It's is resoundingly clear. The toughest part is what do we do with it? What does Paul? How does Paul want me to respond? Where does he want me to go? Well, there are a couple things. The first thing is that Paul wants you to see the cosmic power that has been granted to you. You are not nobody. The very Lord of life has taken your case, pro bono, has taken your case and is mopping up the great accuser who has every bit of blackmail that you ever tried to hide. Right? Are you arrogant? Do your eyes wander? Your hearts, your minds? Do you gossip? You slanderer? No condemnation. You are free of the guilt and by the Spirit groaning to birth a new life in you. That's that's the groaning. He is birthing new life. You can be free of the shame. You know, we as Christians, sometimes we hide behind this. Oh, well, you know, we're never going to be perfect this side of heaven. And you won't. But make no mistake, the Spirit is in you, and you can have victory over sin. Stephen was very clear about that in his sermon just a few weeks ago. There is a real possibility for victory because we have the Spirit of the universe. The Holy Spirit that was there at creation hovering over the waters, He is indwelling in you. We don't have to be trapped anymore. There is freedom. We have been set free. Not just let off the hook. So that's one thing. That the God of the universe thinks that you're important and has given you immense authority. But the other thing is that while in Christ the Lord may have set me free, the law of sin and death is still out there. Right? Not everybody's free. We live in a world that is so enslaved to any number of agendas. I have felt oppression at every turn. I, I, I mean, maybe it's, I don't know if COVID started something or if it just unleashed something that was already brewing in the waters, but, y'all, we are enslaved to any number of things, not the least of which, you know, Netflix and entertainment, right? Like, we, this constant need to be entertained or this constant need to spew our own opinion and agenda at the expense of others. And the more sinister sins that have been around all along, lust, gluttony, pride, wrath, greed, they're out there. And Jesus is supposed to be the firstborn among many brothers. We're the hands and feet. We're the body of Christ in the world today. We get freedom, but freedom to set others free. So if there's any response that I want from you today that I, that I feel like Paul is urging us towards in these verses, is that when we have no condemnation, We have the joyous gift and the power. And I'll skip ahead just a little bit as more than conquerors to go into the world and bring this life. I know for me, oftentimes it feels like they don't want to hear it. Right? Brandon's students are not eager to hear the gospel of Jesus. Many of them think they understand it and they're tired of it. They're done with it. Don't worry about that. You have the spirit of the living God. You don't need to rush in and tell them the story of Jesus. You don't need to rush in and start with Adam and try to get to Revelation. Look on them With love. See if the Spirit tells you what they might be enslaved to. And see if over time, by a relationship which shows them the honor as if they could be in the family of Christ, co heirs with Christ in His future glory, treat them with respect and dignity until their chains start to break. And they learn how to lean on Christ for their own strength and their own salvation. It sounds impossible. And with us, if it were just us, it is. We would be bound by sin and death. But Christians, we've been set free. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set each of us free from the law of sin and death. Let's go and do likewise. Amen.